Julie. Morning, folks. Uh, do uh, grab a Bible if you haven't already, or uh, yeah, look at it on your phone, but don't text or check Facebook as you do that. Uh, page 1182, Colossians chapter 1. We're in a sermon series on worship and uh, coming to the end, I think, uh, end before Easter. And in today's passage, we focus on the one who is rightfully at the centre of all of our worship, the very reason why we worship. We're focusing on Jesus Christ, the one who lived and died, who's now risen and exalted and reigning with God the Father. And as Julie suggested, these verses we don't know, but we, many have suggested an early song or a creed a hymn that the early church sang, maybe even written by the church in Colossae or by the Apostle Paul himself. But it's a hymn about Jesus, isn't it? It's a hymn about his role in creation, his role in salvation, and then looking forward to the end of all things where he sums everything up together. It's a picture of a cosmic Christ encompassing everything in heaven and on earth. And the hymn shows us the heart of true worship. Jesus at the centre, it's for him and it's about him. And interestingly, it's not focused uh, on the church itself. It's not focused on us. It's not focused on our experience of Jesus. It's not focused on how Jesus uh, makes us feel or how Jesus makes the church feel. Uh, It's focused on Jesus himself. 14 references to him in six short verses and no references or no direct references at all to the Colossian Christians. That doesn't mean that we can't sing about uh, our love for Jesus, but it does mean that worship must start and end, not with us, but with him. And the sense that if we focus on ourselves, if we focus on our own experiences of Jesus, then, you know, we can maybe whip up a little bit of emotion, we can get excited, uh, a few chord changes here and there, minor key, I don't know how musicians uh, do it, but I've been told that it can happen, quite easily whip up a a sense of uh, excitement and emotion, but then that can have no lasting effect. If that happens, we might feel great for the, the service, but then that has no lasting effect. But it's as we focus on Jesus, as we focus on his glory, as the worship band help us to do that, then our eyes are opened, our hearts are warmed, and we meet with Jesus and are changed. And then we can sing about how we feel about him, how much we love him. So what does this passage in Colossians 1 tell us about Jesus? What does it say about the one who is so worthy of our worship? And I want to look at uh, three things with us this morning. And the first is that, why is Jesus so worthy of worship? He's worthy of worship because he fully reveals God to us. If you look at verse 15, it says that the Son is the image of the invisible God. And verse 19 says that God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. So we don't know what God looks like. We've never seen God But Jesus reveals God to us and doesn't just reveal a bit of God to us, but reveals the fullness of God. If you want to know what God is like at the very core of his being, I don't know if you ever asked yourself that question or if anyone has ever asked you that question, what is God really like? If you want to know what God is really, really like, right at the very core of who he is, then look no further than Jesus himself. There's no aspect at all of God 
that he's kept hidden from us. There's not a sense that here's a bit of me, says God, that I'm revealing to you in Jesus, and here's a huge hinterland that you've got no idea about. It's mind-blowing, isn't it, that God has fully revealed who he is to us in Jesus. Now, we may not fully grasp who he is, but that's not his fault. That's, that's to do with how much we can get, how much we can grasp this side of heaven. But there's no sense of, of hiding with God. He's fully revealed himself. He said, this is who I am, no holds barred. There's no public face and private face of God. This is full self-disclosure. And so if that is what God is like, it makes no sense, does it, to talk about uh, the God of the Old Testament as being different from the God of the New. That sense, and you may have thought this yourself, I know it's something that sometimes Christians do struggle with. Uh, We look at the God of the Old Testament and and we might think that's the kind of judgmental God of the Old Testament has a different name, he's called Yahweh, and uh, he seemed to be a bit mean at times. And, uh, you know, the prophets wrote very long books, and I can't pretend to understand them all. So why don't we just focus on the New Testament? We'll come to the Gospels, uh, and there's Jesus, and isn't he wonderful? And he goes around healing people, and he blesses them, he dies on the cross for the sins of the world. And somehow he seems more modern, uh, more friendly, more caring than the God of the Old Testament. But that, if we think about it, is nonsense, isn't it? That's absolute nonsense. That if you, that because if Jesus fully reveals God, then there is no difference between the God of the Old and the God of the New. And if we've got a difference in perspective between the two Testaments, then we probably need to go and have a think about our view of the God of the Old Testament, the one who is, in fact, always merciful, always loving. The God, whether of Old or New Testament, never changes. Ever loving, always giving, overflowing with life. And the picture we have here is how that life in Jesus overflows to us, in creation and in salvation. So first of all, a sense of what is God showing us through Jesus in creation, sharing his life and sharing his love with us. These are the first few verses, verses 15 to 17. And Paul starts by saying Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. Doesn't mean that in some way he was created by God and so is not eternal. As that's what Jehovah's Witnesses would uh, say and that has no warrant at all in scripture. It means more that he is prior to all creation. He's before all things, as it says in verse 17. He's the head of creation. That's what firstborn over all creation means. It's not the sense of having been created himself, because in the very next verse, in verse 16, it says clearly that all things were created by him. If Jesus had been created by God, then he wouldn't be the creator. He wouldn't be able to create all things. Everything has been created by Jesus. In heaven, on earth, things invisible or invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities. Absolutely everything that has ever been created was created by Jesus. And at university, a friend once asked me, why, Martin, why do you think God created the universe? And I didn't really have a clearly thought through theological answer at the time. But I said, uh, kind of fumbled out a response, as we often do, something along the lines of, well, um, because of what God is like, because he enjoys giving love and life and blessing that he almost couldn't help himself from creating the world in order to share 
his love with other people. And the response uh, that my friend gave to this was, uh, uh, that was a bit of a hippie answer, isn't it, Martin? Uh, but actually, I think that's not far from the truth. Uh, I'd probably express it slightly differently today. But the sense that God chose to create the world so that he could share his love with us. So that he could share what he always had with the Father and the Spirit. He could share that with us. And ancient writers used to compare uh, the creation of the world. They uh, used to compare God with a fountain. Just that sense of bursting out, brimming over, as God shares his life and his love with all of us in creation. And Paul goes on to say that uh, Jesus didn't just create all things, but in him everything holds together. The reason that everything holds together is because of Jesus. In his love, he sustains all things. If you took Jesus out of the equation, uh, the the world would, would quite literally explode. Although, as I said this morning, I'm not sure if physics, in terms, it would explode or implode. But uh, something would happen, and none of us would be here anymore. Uh, In a sense, whether it explodes or implodes doesn't really matter, does it? But uh, the only reason that we are here, that everything holds together, is because of Jesus. And one of, in physics, one of the, the um, I've just admitted that I know nothing about physics, and I'm going to continue talking about physics, but uh, I, I'm reliably informed that um, there's, there's a, a quest in physics, the so-called unifying theory of everything. So what is it that, that holds together Einstein and Newton and quantum mechanics? Is there an overarching theory that holds everything together? And the answer, according to the Apostle Paul, at least theologically, I'm not I'm sure he wouldn't claim to be an expert on physics either, either. The, the answer to the unifying theory of everything is Jesus himself, at the centre of the universe, the one who holds everything together in love. And at Jesus at the centre of the universe, we get a sense of this from the picture that's up there. Now, I don't know if any of you recognise that. What it is, it's a picture taken by the Hubble telescope in 2005 and of a galaxy called the Whirlpool Galaxy. And you can see right at the centre of that Whirlpool Galaxy, it is a cross. And it's 31 million light years away. And that's amazing, isn't it? That God would put that there. And that uh, we only, us, we could only see it as humans in 2005. 31 million light years away. And then lastly, in terms of creation, if you look at verse 16, it says that all things were created for him. Everything has been created, uh, not for us, but for Jesus. Creation is a blessing that God gives to us. We're to enjoy it and use it, but it's created for Jesus. He's the goal of creation. Creation is God the Father's gift to God the Son, and it one day will be summed up in him. The end game of history is that everything in heaven and on earth will be brought together under Jesus as the head. He'll fill everything in every way. So this is, this is the first verse, if you like, of the great hymn. It's about Jesus in creation, sharing God's love and God's life. This is the one that we worship, the one who is before creation, the one who created everything, the one who holds all things together, and the one in whom everything will be summed up at the end of history. And there's a story told of Michelangelo, uh, his uh, most famous pupil, Raphael, who was drawing uh, or painting a picture of Jesus. And he asked Michelangelo, will you come and have a look at it? 
uh, give me your thoughts on it. And uh, Raphael went out for lunch, and Michelangelo came to the studio, looked at the painting, uh, and then stood back, took a brush. Uh, imagine how Raphael felt at this point. Took a brush uh, and painted over the painting in huge letters the Latin word amplius, meaning bigger. And Michelangelo essentially was saying to Raphael, you must make Jesus larger, make him bolder, make him more prominent, make him stand out. Your Jesus is too small. And I wonder if that applies to any of us this morning. Is our Jesus too small? Many of us have grown up in Sunday school and have been blessed by uh, some of the stories we've heard, some of the teaching we've had Uh, Some of the songs that we know, some of our theology about uh, an understanding of Jesus, we know from having sung songs when we were seven or eight. But uh, I wonder if uh, sometimes some of the stuff we got when we were younger, that Sunday school picture of Jesus, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, baby Jesus. We like to talk about baby Jesus, don't we? But what about cosmic Christ? He fills everything in every way. Do we have room for him as well in our worship? And then secondly, the second verse, if you like, and more briefly, is that Jesus shares God's love and God's life with us in salvation. So Paul goes on to show in verses 18 to 20 that uh, it's not just about creation, but it's about salvation. When God created the world by and in and for Jesus, he saw that it was good. But then creation Uh, turned its back on God. And the world has torn itself apart ever since. Uh, We're at war with God, we're at war with each other, we're at war with the planet. But this very rejection of the love and the life of God drew forth from the heart of God the extreme depths of his love. Because on the cross we see deeper than ever into the very being of God. Without the cross we can never truly know what it means to say that God is love. And it's here that God shares, that Jesus shares God's love and his life with us by giving his own life away. God, Jesus shares God's love and his life with us by giving his own life away because he paid the price, he stood in our place, he suffered the punishment that we all deserve and he took all of that to the cross. He took all of our pain and suffering and heartache and sin and disobedience upon himself and he took it to the cross, and he dealt with it there. And just as Jesus was called uh, the firstborn over all creation, because of what he did on the cross, he's also the firstborn from among the dead, the firstborn of the new creation. He rose from the grave, showing that death is not the end, that death could not hold on to the Son of God, and that all who follow him will receive a new life in Christ. The beginning of the new creation. If we look at Jesus, we see not only what God is like, the very heart of God. If we look at Jesus, we see not only the very love of God. But if we look at Jesus, we see what new life can be like. We can see life life lived as God intended it for us. And Jesus invites all of us to take part in that. We see the heart of God, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, sharing his very life, that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. And he did that for me and he did that for you.
And he did that for everyone. He came to save each one of us. But he didn't just come to save individuals. He came to call a people to himself, a new community, as we are here, given a mission to show the world what God is like. And then just in case we're in danger again of thinking that salvation is for individuals and for a new community, the church, uh, Paul draws us back in verse 20 and says that actually Jesus came to reconcile the whole world, the whole of creation to God, whether things on earth or in heaven through shedding his blood, giving his very life to us. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to that creation Uh, that was his, that will one day be his, that came into being through him. He came to the creation that had rejected him. And he came on a rescue mission to win creation back. We turned our backs on him, but he continued to hold out his love to each one of us. And he still does so today. And he still does so even this morning. On the cross, God in Jesus said yes. He said yes to me, he said yes to you, he said yes to the church, and he said yes to the world. So Colossians gives us that cosmic vista of Jesus, the one we worship, the one who reveals the very heart of God, his father heart, the one who shares the love and life of God with each one of us in creation, and the one who shows the very, very depths of God's love by giving his own life so that we can live life to the full. So let's fill and expand our vision with Jesus Christ, the one that we worship. Let's keep him right at the heart, right at the centre, as the focus of our worship. And as we come to communion, let's allow him to continue to pour his love and his life into our lives and into our hearts. Let's come to communion knowing that it's God's heart to bless, it's God's heart to give. Let's come to communion to receive from him blessing, healing, comfort, strength. Let's come to the one in faith, the one who always loves to give. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for Jesus. And Lord, help us to have that bigger picture of who Jesus is. the one for whom all things were created, who will sum all of creation up at the end of all things, the one who shares the love of the Father with us in salvation, who shows us the heart and the love of God. Lord Jesus, we pray that uh, we would meet with you as we take communion, we'd meet with you as we continue in worship. Help us to receive from you and to respond to you in love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.